quite a day, isn't it? Amen. If you like, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'll be there in just a little bit. Just going to be real simple today. I'm kind of simple anyway, they say. <laughs> you could take that in several directions. But let me encourage you to sign up for small groups. Let me encourage you about the men's conference coming. It's going to be great. It's a real honor to be able to have Joel Fink. Uh, he's uh, uh, written numbers of books on rightly dividing and just is excellent. I've heard him speak on a number of occasions. And so just uh, be sure to put that on your calendar. And I promise you, uh, after it's all said and done, you will really appreciate being here. And it's not just, it's just not uh, for the man. It doesn't exclude everybody else. If you'd like to come, you're more than welcome to come. But he's going to direct his messages toward the men. And maybe wives, you need to be sitting at your men so you can go like this every now and then. That might help the circumstance, right? The title of my message this morning is, Yes, we're in a battle, so fight. <laughs> Amen? We're in a battle. But we've got to fight. Genesis 3, 14, 15 says this. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of, the li of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. Just leave that up for a second, fellas, if you would. Uh, that right there shows that Satan is going to bruise the hill of Christ, and he did that on the cross, didn't he? Right? But also, Christ would crush his head. He's going to hit his head. And uh, Christ did that through his death, burial, and resurrection and the accomplishments that gospel accomplished. He says, I will put enmity. That means he's going to put a strong hatred, strong hostility between thy seed, Satan's seed, lost mankind, but also a third of the demonic forces, and then also between her seed that eventually Christ would come. Now, back to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, tells us this here, Ephesians 6, 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We're in a battle today, and it all started back. It began the conflict of the ages between God and Satan, between good and evil, between the devil and demonic forces versus believers today. Some of Satan's characteristics, by the way, just to let us know who we're dealing with, who we're fighting, the word devil in the Greek means diabolos. It means slanderer, accuser, to defame, I'm grateful one day that an angel will grab him and throw him into the pit. That will be a good day. 
He's also called adversary. That means opponent, prosecuting attorney against us, the enemy. He's called a roaring lion. He's a beast of fierce anger. He's mad. He's upset. He's a, like a wounded animal. And then he's, it states he devours. That means to gulp down and swallow. He seeks to tear us apart. And then it mentions wiles. That's his entrapping devices, his tricks, his deceptiveness. He's clever. He does those things to get us. And then he's also called, that makes it difficult for many, an angel of light, ministers of light, his forces. And that means he fools, he counterfeits, he offers fool's gold, he's two-faced, he'll stab you in the back with untruth. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4.27, he says, neither give place to the devil. If you open up a window, he's going to get in there and he's going to make havoc on the inside of that person's life. Now, people might laugh. They might say, oh, devil, he's not a real person. Let me say, he's more real than you've ever known. He's true. He's real. He hates us because he hates Christ. We know that. Satan's goal, his glory, is to defeat God by defeating believers. When Satan can get us as a believer to backtrack, to fail, to falter, to turn our back on God's word, that stains the Lord's name. We represent Christ. And when we go the devil's way, it's a stain to the very name of of God. Satan with his helpers, he'll do whatever it takes to make the believer ineffective, embarrassed, or limping. There are a lot of Christians been hit by the darts of the devil. They no longer have that fresh, that strong credibility, but they limp in their life. You can read the scriptures and there's a lot of them that limp. Thank God for grace. He can pick up the pieces. But we go forward with a limp. <laughs> and God doesn't want us to do that. Somebody like Samson, uh, he walked with a limp. He's mentioned in the Hebrews Hall of Fame of faith, but he limped because of the things he did in his life. Now, what does he try to get us to do? Here's the devil. He's attacking us. What does he try to get us to do? And it's real simple. First of all, he gets us to neglect God's word. And that's deep, isn't it? He gets us to stop our daily devotions. He gets us not to read, to study. And he causes inconsistency. And when there's an inconsistency of me and God's word... That makes me vulnerable. That means that I can't grow, I can't mature, I can't develop in the Word of God the way that God wants me to do that. 
Then also, he gets us to neglect our prayer times. We begin to hit and miss. You know, prayer, and it's a real battle for me at times. It's not always easy, is it? But it's our lifeline in our relationship to God. God wants to hear from us. He wants us to know that we love him, we, we trust him, and we're there for grace, for help, for strength, but also to worship him and to be able to praise him. Doesn't the Bible say draw nigh to him and what? He'll draw nigh to us. And then also he gets us to drift away from church. That's easy today because of covid and all the things that have happened. A lot of churches were hitting their stride. We're beginning to go. But then COVID for these last couple years has decimated many, many churches. And it breaks your heart. But we need the fellowship, don't we? There's something about fellowshipping that's important. Now, people have serious illnesses, and there's fear. I understand that. Uh, I, I understand that completely. But a piece of hot coal burning, glowing, if you take it away from the pile of the other hot coals, it grows cool. And as a church, we're to be in a partnership. We are to be fitly framed together to help one another to remain hot for the things of God. The Bible doesn't teach Lone Ranger Christianity. Amen? He, he calls us as a team. We're a body of believers. David said this, I believe it's true. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. There's just something about seeing your friends seeing the people at church that know you've been around them. There's just a connection there you can't get if you don't come. Amen? And it's just really, really good. And the virus has really affected. A lot of small churches have closed. I was watching Joe Osteen the other day. First of all, forgive me, but secondly... <laughs> Amen. But I, and I remember his churches were packed. I was just looking to see what was going on. And it was half full. Half of thousands who have not returned yet. And so it does ref, reflect what's going on, but we truly do need fellowship with each other. Then also, the devil, he gets us not to use our gifts within our church. It's interesting, as the years go by, we notice that people volunteering to help decreases and decreases and decreases. And we know those individual people have gifts. But you see, when you use your gift in church, that calls for involvement. Amen? That, that calls for you to serve. And that means you have to be responsible. And I found out that Christians today just don't want to be responsible for things. 
And that's rapid throughout the whole church. And if not, we begin to take it easy. If I didn't serve, do something, I'm afraid I'd go back in the world. That's how much faith I have in myself about that. Because I've learned over the years that when you're actively involved, it helps encourage you to keep going for God. I think of David when he should have been out fighting with his soldiers. <laughs> he took it easy. And that's when he saw Bathsheba and everything fell apart. I think of John the Baptist even. John the Baptist, uh, he was out there preaching, preaching hard, but when they put him in prison, he's not out there serving. He's not out there uh, doing something for God and proclaiming the truth. He's in a jail, and he gets lonely in jail, and he begins to question and doubt and ask Christ's disciples if he's the one. There's something about not being involved that causes people to step back, take it easy, begin to question the word of God, and even serve the Lord. Then the devil, he gets us to have a critical negative spirit. He causes individual people then to complain. Complaining divides, it discourages, it diverts us from being on course. I noticed something about the early church. The early church, the little flock, when they were attacked from without, they grew by the thousands. But when they begin to have problems and attacked from within, they begin to divide. And it wasn't long. They lost the power of God, but also they were scattered then. So all I'm saying is the devil is very, very shrewd. United we stand, divided we fall. Always remember this. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Listen, be a forgiver. doesn't matter what, just be a forgiver. Six, notice this. He gets us to become obsessed with worldly success. Paul said, Demas hath forsaken me, the apostle of the Gentiles, to the body of Christ. He said, for the cares of this world. He saw the lights, the temptations, all the fun the world was having, and it drew him away from being with the greatest Christian who's ever lived. Think that through. And a lot of people, they chase rainbows. And they chase these rainbows at the expense of, of the relationship with God, at the expense of time with their family, at the expense of priorities being all jumbled up and wrong. And then he gets us to listen in our thinking. Uh, I always say he whispers to us. That he impresses our minds some way. And in our thinking. And he'll get us to think something. God's left you. You wouldn't feel this way if he really cared for you and he really loved you. But you know, the Bible says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. The Bible says, as a matter of fact, he can't leave us because he's sealed with inside us. So he's always going to be there. Then he works on our mind. 
You need vengeance. There are people who have really hurt you. What you need to do is get even. I've seen people like that. They become really bitter. The Bible says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, thus saith the Lord. He says, listen, I'll take care of what needs to be taken care of. You just get out of my parking place. Amen? He said, don't be overcome with evil. Overcome evil with good. And then he'll get us to think no good can come out of this. You begin to have your poor pity party. Oh, me. You know, Job, his friends told him to curse God and die. At the end of his life, he had twice as much more. Joseph said to his brothers who had sold him into slavery, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. We know that all things work together for good to them that are called according to his purpose and so on. He says that we might be conformed to the image of his son. He works through those things to develop us and mature us. And then he gets us to think, God must not truly love me. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Uh, Nothing. He says this, he gets us to think, how could you love or stay with your mate after what they've done? Always remember this, ye who are without sin, you cast the first stone. And some people say, well, I don't love them anymore. What's love got to do with it? Amen, I like that song. <laughs> you know, the Bible says that's what we are taught of God to love one another. You turn over to God, he can teach you how to love properly. Carol and I, when we got married, I loved her. She loved me. But when I got saved, I began to really learn what true love was. God so loved the word he gave. He loved the church and gave him. Love is giving of yourself freely, totally to your spouse. The devil will get us to think, now you've blown it. Uh, You can never, ever be used by God again. Well, I say this, I've been washed, I've been sanctified, I've been justified. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And when he forgave me of my sin, he forgave me of all my sin. My past, my present, my future. It's not forever. Amen? And then he'll get us to think, you'll not make it God's way, so what you need to do is just... Trust and follow me and my ways. And a lot of Christians turn toward that way. But regardless of what you're going through, God says his grace is sufficient for you. He said you can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth you. Then he'll get us to think, get all you can get, then you'll be somebody. I am somebody. I'm a child of the king. Amen. I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm somebody special regardless of what you think about me. I'm special to God. Then he'll say this, going to the bar, having a drink, looking at a few girls won't hurt anything. But my Bible says abstain from all appearance of evil. Amen? Live according to what makes you feel good. 
Live by your feelings. You do that, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, double trouble, I promise. John says, if you know these things, happy are you do if you do them. Your happiness is dependent upon your behavior. If you behave right and godly, you'll be happy. Follow society. Follow culture. Follow the psychologist's counsel. I wouldn't follow this culture's counsel for a second. It's crazy today, is it not? Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, the Bible tells us. And then, finally, he'll get us to think there are no answers or solutions to your problems. The fear of God, the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of wisdom. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. God will be faithful to us. He will help us find an answer. So Satan attacks the believers, those believers especially who are trying to live and stand for God. And he is relentless, is he not? Seems like he never stops. He lives at my house beginning on Friday, Saturdays to go into Sunday. It's amazing what he does. He's not there for Carol, he's there for me. Huh? The fiery darts of the devil, the Bible talks about. Amen. So, what can we do as believers? What can we do? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 10, verses 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down these thoughts we've been having, down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity under the control of God every thought to the obedience of Christ. The first thing I need to under, do is to understand it's a battle for our mind, for our thinking, for our reasoning, for our worldview. In those verses we just read, against the knowledge of God. He says, in bringing into captivity every thought, it's attack on our mind. Philippians 2.5 tells me this here. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. God says, I want to give you a new mind. 1 Corinthians 2.16, he says this. For whom hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. How in the world do I have the mind of Christ? I have his word. Search the scriptures and they are they which testify of me. Romans 12, 2 says this, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It has to do with our thinking. Ephesians 4, 23 says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 
So when you get saved, the Spirit of God comes in, and it's the Spirit who wrote the Scriptures, who works in our heart, works in our thinking, that we might bring the devil's impressions upon our thinking and bring them down under the control of the Word and the Spirit of God, casting down imaginations to the obedience of Christ. And when you study the Word of God, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And when you study the Bible, it will mature you. You'll become perfect. That just means not sinless, but you'll... I was thinking of Rick Campbell when I said that word. He says he's perfect to Peggy. He's, the deli- he's a delight to live with. I'm not talking about Rick now, okay? But perfect means fully developed, okay? I'm not a babe any longer. Now I'm a man. When you study, it will refute wrong thinking to right thinking so you can have a godly balance there. When you study it, it will instruct you in the Lord's ways. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. And all thy, what? What do you do? Acknowledge him. And what will he do? He shall direct thy path. And if you study the word of God, it will educate and discipline you to do good and have godliness in your life. And then when you're studying and you're maturing, you have a solid anchor. And when you have a solid anchor, you can defeat the devil when he tries to put imaginations and bad thoughts into your thinking. Amen? Secondly, don't quit. Get up, fight, and resist. I'm fighting this morning. I feel like I've been attacked and attacked. And the last month, it's been unbelievable. Just boom, and you're thinking your mind over and over and over the impressions and uh, the wrong thinking and, and uh, the, uh, the, uh, not the ways of the Lord and being attacked over and over. And you have to f- keep fighting to stand up and do what you're supposed to do. Ephesians 6, 10, and 11 says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 16 then, Above all, taking on the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So I take the Spirit, I take the Word, I put the armor of God on, and I can resist the devil. And James says, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Number three, get dissatisfied with Satan's plan for your life. Get dissatisfied with that. What am I doing? Where am I going if I keep going this way? You give the devil an inch, he'll take a mile. 
I had a friend, great preacher, photographic memory. We used to sit at, down the temple at the restaurant there between classes sometimes, and it amazed me. And I had him come and preach for me a couple of times, and, I mean, his mind was unbelievable. But he saw a different woman, and it got him in trouble. Do you know what he does today? The devil's plan for his life. He actually is owner of a liquor store now. Yeah. You can fall deep when you fall, even as a believer. And then notice this. Get a wholehearted desire for God. Say, God, I need fire. <laughs> I need fire. <laughs> I need your fire. I need to be energized. I need to become sensitive to who you are in me. God, ignite me. Energize me with you. Lord, anything. Your will be done. Whatever you want for my life, it's yours. By the way, he owns us anyway. He bought us and purchased us, did he not? You see, and when you start doing that repeatedly, then what you're doing, you're placing yourself in a position to be touched and used by God. I think of Elijah, who's getting ready to go off the scene, and Elisha, another prophet. And Elijah said, what do you want, Elisha? He said, I want a double portion of what you have. I see you on fire. I want a double portion of that. And Elijah says, the only way you'll get that is if you'll be with me there at the end when God takes me. And you know what Elisha did? He placed himself in position so he would be there. And he saw Elijah go up. And he received a double portion of the Spirit of God in the sense of power and control. And Elisha did twice as many miracles. Remember, he's dealing with the nation of Israel. Miracles as his mentor, Elijah, did. You don't, it doesn't just happen that God's going to touch you and use you. You have to put yourself in position for that to take place. Some of us are so far from position, <laughs> it'd be very difficult for him to want to use us. I'm about done. Number five, understand what's at stake. Not only your life now, but your eternity. You know, the way we live down here will be rewarded for eternity up there. Huh? So it does matter how we live down here because it will affect our whole eternity. God's given us a way to win. He says in 1 Timothy 1.7, he says this here, desiring to be teachers, and that's not the verse I want, but that's okay. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love 
and of power and of a sound mind. Amen? We don't have to be fearful about the devil. As long as we stick close to Christ, his word, and allow the spirit to work through that word inside of us. Romans 8.35 says this here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, or peril, sword? And then verse 37, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We're on the winning team. We just need to live up to that. Amen? The devil is the defeated foe. Now he'll probably get all over me for saying that. You know, funny things happen when you preach against the devil. Do you know that? Funny things Carol might start loving me all of a sudden. I don't know. Funny things happen. But I promise you this, if you get faithful and stay faithful to the, I want to stay faithful to the end. It will be worth it all. I promise you. Years ago, missionary by the name of Bobby Moffat in England spoke at a church to a ladies' group, and he spoke on missions. Unbeknown to him, up in a balcony with a little boy. And after he spoke on missions, that little boy up there in that balcony after he talked a mission, he said, I'll go. Huh? That kid's name was David Livingston. He became a great pioneer missionary to Africa. He was there for years. People in England, he was getting old, wanted him to come back home. So they sent a fellow by the name of Stanley. And Stanley went and found Livingston and said, listen, they want you to come home to honor you and all these things. They, they want you to come back to England. Dr. Livingston, he said, well, that's tempting, but I'm staying. In spite of the trials, in spite of the hardships, in spite of the demonic attacks, it was dark in Africa when he went there. In spite of all those things, he said, I'm going to stay. Then right after that, Stanley left, and Livingston, he took his personal diary out, and he wrote this. My Jesus, my life, my all. I again reaffirm my decision to dedicate my whole self to thee. Accept me. Grant, O oh gracious Father, that before the year is gone, I may finish my work. In Jesus' name I ask it, amen. Faithful saint in his tent. David Livingston later was found, two years later, on his knees, dead. He was faithful to the end, through it all. He had influenced multitudes who came to Christ in the heart of Africa. Because of his faithfulness to missions, many missionaries, many people followed 
to go to the mission field just because of Livingston's testimony. They took his body back to England to be buried with honors and everything. But first, the natives that he ministered to, they cut his heart out and they buried it in Africa out of love for this man who just stayed faithful to God. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, and your labor will not be in vain. I don't know where you are in your relationship with Christ, but let me encourage you. Stay faithful. I look back at my own family when I first got saved. I was crazy. My family looked at me. <laughs> my sister Martine's here today. He what? <laughs> but over the years, and I'm so grateful, I saw my mom saved. I saw my brother-in-law saved. I saw my niece saved. I saw my uncle saved. I've seen my seven sisters saved. All of them come to Christ. Sometimes I think that's the reason God saved me with the hope that I might have some type of influence in their heart about Christ. And you ask me, through all these years of standing by the faith, was it worth it? <laughs> it's more than worth it. Most of my sisters are gone in heaven. My mom's in heaven. But because they're a Christian, I'm going to see them again. Or well, today that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. And I'm going to see my family once again there. I want to be like Paul, but the devil doesn't want me to. He wants me to quit, to give in, throw the towel in. Just slide through now. You're saved. You're going to heaven. Take it easy. But I want to be like Paul in 2 Timothy 4 at the end of his life. 2 Timothy 4, 6. For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. Ready to have his head chopped off, I believe. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course, the will of God for my life. I have kept the faith. I haven't wavered. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. One day the trumpet's going to sound. Will we love his appearing? Or will we go? Because we haven't lived for him. I challenge you this morning, you that are saved here this morning, I let's go all the way with Christ. Let's don't be stopped by the world, the flesh, the devil. Let's just dedicate ourselves in our hearts. This thing's real. We're going to finish the race that God started us on. We're going to fulfill the journey that God has purposed for us and be faithful to the end. Father, we love you.
We don't know why you loved us, but we're so glad you did. We're thankful for that day that we that are saved, you revealed to us who you are. That revealed our sin and our need of a Savior. And then you showed us that Jesus Christ, your own son, died for our sins and they buried him, but it couldn't hold him. He rose from the grave three days later. He's alive. And that gospel, that message can save a soul if they just believe in that message. Not joining a church, not giving money, simple faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God. If there's somebody here this morning who's never been saved, may they believe that truth today. And they should believe it, not just because I say it, but because your word proves that. And for us that are Christians, you've been faithful to us, God. You brought us through so much. We're unworthy. We apologize. <laughs> for the fact that you have to keep getting on us to stay in the race, to stay faithful, to keep at it. The devil's tricked people, and he'll trick us. But help us to stay close to you in your word, allowing your spirit to work, consistency of our faith, and then the devil can't have his way with us. So may something said today encourage people to decide they're going all the way for Christ. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... We hope you received a blessing from today's broadcast. We would love to have you visit with us in person. For more information, please visit our website at gpnd.net or contact us by phone at 317-535-3512. You can watch us live and view past services on our website, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Until next broadcast, may God richly bless you as our prayer.